and welcome back to the Movie Belt Podcast. This is Nick Kush, and I am joined by, well, nobody today. Uh, we're doing something a little different, because uh, we have some really cool things coming down the pipe this week. Uh, if you don't know, uh, myself and Colin, uh, who you normally hear on the podcast, will be going to the Sundance Film Festival. Uh, so, yeah, really cool stuff, and so we're really just busy, just working our little hearts out uh, to get in get ready for that uh, later this week uh, i'm very excited this is my second time i went last year and i just can't wait i'm basically in heaven when i'm there uh, it's, i think i saw 18 movies in six days like something like that by the third day i'm working on about three cups of coffee a day at least i'm happy to get six hours of sleep maybe <laughs> so yeah well the, the last day i was there i, think I saw four movies in the entire day, which ended with a midnight screening of The Nightingale, which, uh, if you've seen The Nightingale, that's kind of a bummer movie to end the night on. Um, and also, it's also two hours and 15 minutes, something like that, so you get out of there at 2.30, 2.45, or in the dead of winter in Park City, Utah, it's really fucking cold outside, uh, you're just miserable, and then you wake up, and then the next morning, I went to an 8.30 screening of uh, Britney Runs a Marathon, so... I had about four hours of sleep, five hours, something like that. Once I finally got back to the to the old shack, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it was quite a whirlwind experience. But I really can't wait. We're looking forward to some, seeing some of the panels and basically everything that Sundance has. Uh, I I drink the Kool Aid hard. There's there's a saying about people being really high on the altitude out there, and uh, I could definitely feel that last time. So uh, hopefully, Colin learns from my stupidity and uh, can kind of judge things a little better than me. But um, since we're doing solo today, let's just jump right into it here. So, uh, breaking down the uh, top five at the box office, we had a surprise one for me: Bad Boys for Life with 62 million uh, over the weekend. And, and as we go down here, we'll go through the weekend totals, and then we'll break down the uh, Martin Luther King uh, extended weekend totals as we get to movie to movie. But second coming in over the weekend was uh, 1917 with 22 million, uh, and then actually flipped with uh, the third number third film on this list, uh, which was Doolittle, which had 21.95 million for the weekend. Those two movies flipped, actually, when you factor in the MLK totals. Then after that, at fourth, we had Jumanji The Next Level, which has just kind of been chilling in the top five for quite a few weeks now. A really solid drop in in, in this latest week. And then we have Rise of the Skywalker at five, Um, just also just chilling there. So yeah, really interesting week for me personally. I was not seeing uh, Bad Boys for Life coming on this one. Um, I knew people really loved 1 and 2, and it has, it's kind of one of our big nostalgia points, I feel like, that hasn't been mined quite yet. But I, I just was really not seeing this kind of massive haul for it. Uh, so it took in about 30, uh, 30, $73.4 million over the MLK weekend, which is kind of crazy. Uh, so this movie... When I saw it was budgeted around $90 million, uh, I was really, really nervous. This seemed like kind of like a January write-off uh, stinker, maybe makes its budget back overall, and it's kind of just a tax write-off for Sony, but I guess I was just an idiot, because uh, this movie did incredibly well. Um, and it is really interesting, because um, this movie did really well. Cinema score, A cinema score, Rotten Tomatoes audience score is really really great um and i guess it just shows that how much people love the first two bad boys movies uh which is really interesting for me so leading up to the release of bad boys for life i had never seen a bad boys movie so i had to kind of just kind of just see what everyone was into with these two movies and 
I can certainly see why people love them because it's it's probably Will Smith as at his most Will Smith, uh, if that makes sense. He's just Will Smith, the personality, outgoing personality you love. Times like just like cocaine and just all these whatever drugs Michael Bay was feeding him on set of those two movies. Uh, it's just him going balls to the wall, and Martin Lawrence is a really good foil for him. They're just going back and forth. Just the amount of times where they're just yelling in cars and yelling fuck at each other or just insults. They're just rattling off really quick just jabs at each other. And I think people really took to that. And I think it's, it's one of the things that Bad Boys for Life does really well. When we get to that one in a second. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I, was, I think there's definitely a little bit of there's this nostalgia goggles for the first movie because that movie's just not good. And we'll, <laughs> Bad Boys 2 is just a... Just another, just a cocaine, just, I can't tell if it's a nightmare or a fever dream or something. But yeah, the first one is, I mean, there's just, it's kind of weird. If you haven't seen it in a while, it's just a very weird mistaken identity. Kind of comedy turned into this kind of crime caper. So Martin Lawrence and Will Smith kind of have to, they take in a witness to a murder played by Taya Leone. And she only trusts apparently the cop who is supposed to be uh, Will Smith, but shenanigans ensue and martin lawrence has to act as the will smith um character and vice versa so there's just this really weird um kind of playing against type thing throughout the entire movie which it really didn't have to happen like ever ever it's just a really kind of confounding plot and then explosions happen in tickle in typical michael bay fashion and then the movie's over but i think bad boys 2 is the movie that we kind of have all the love for because it's just insane and it's everything that you liked in the first Bad Boys and just kind of just ramped up to an incredible degree. It is, I think I said this when I first saw it, it's, it's probably the best bad movie maybe of the last 20 years. Um, it is so entertaining to watch, but also just so terrible. It's all of the bad things about Michael Bay, just the obnoxious um, attempts at humor, but it's also some of the really good stuff. Like, I think one of the biggest uh, detriments to Michael Bay's career is the advancements in CGI because just we get we get to like Transformers the last night and those the movies well first of all it's just not good but it's just all the action sequences are so incoherent uh, they're just really really bad you know you have no idea what's happening you know you don't know what Transformer is a Decepticon or an Autobot and there's just kind of just metal flying all over the screen you have no idea what's happening but I feel like back when Bad Boys 2 came out back in the I think it was in the mid 90s but he was kind of constrained by practical effects. So you, instead of all these crazy stunts that defy physics in all senses, uh, he's just kind of just going balls to the wall with what he's got. So I think one of my favorite scenes in that movie, I think it's the favorite scene for a lot of people, is just that crazy, like, it feels like a 45-minute long uh, freeway chase. Uh, the bad boys are just in a Porsche just going all around cars and looking really cool and really fast, and then... And yeah, the bad guys are driving 18 wheeler with just cars latched on it, and they keep displacing them. They keep flying all over the freeway, and it's just it's really kinetic, and you understand what's happening, even though if it's just the most absurd thing ever. Uh, so it's really entertaining, and then it's just the back and forth between Will Smith and Martin Lawrence in that movie is just kind of insane. And it's I think if it was literally any other pair of actors. Uh, it would probably be unwatchable for me, and I know it's probably unwatchable to a lot of people because critics hate this movie. <laughs> um, you look at the Rotten Tomato score; it's not great, somewhere in the twenties. But there's just something about it. It's really kinetically paced, and things don't really make sense if you kind of break down the plot. But it's one of those movies where things are coming by you at such a fast, 
and just abrasive speed that you just don't really have time to think about it. Um, the movie, when a movie starts out with a group of Navy SEALs kind of just converging on a KKK uh, group who are burning a cross, and then there's a, a young Michael Shannon makes a cameo in there, and then, yeah, it's just insane. It's go, it goes from there. It's all the things, Michael Bay, jingoistic stuff, love for armed forces, and then by the end of it, we get down to a show-off in Guantanamo Bay, and... and Johnny Tapia just gets his brains blown out. Uh, that movie is just insane. So when we get to Bad Boys for Life, it's really interesting to look at those first two and then kind of see what this movie is. Because uh, I think it's the best movie out of the three. It's actually really funny when I went and saw this movie. And it actually kind of functioned as a movie with story progression and character arcs. And it kind of took me back a little bit because I was just not expecting that at all. And I was actually expecting this movie to be one of those just delayed sequels that are just really terrible and just kind of sad to watch. Uh, just because the people are old, they don't quite have that fastball that they used to have. But what I, re- what I really appreciate about Bad Boys for Life is that it, it's all about that. So this movie is kind of, there's a really good and really interesting um, meta-contextual conversation going on in this movie. Just about how, basically how obnoxious they were in the previous two movies and Martin Lawrence... <laughs> He's kind of these funny bits where he's said he's found God and he's not going to bring more violence into the world. And this movie is just kind of all about growing up and realizing that they're not those cocky kids anymore. Uh, so they need to act with a, they need to have a little more some more reservations behind what they're saying, what they're doing, and they don't move quite as well as they used to. It's really funny and I really like it. It works really well. And there's a one really good scene, uh, which has actually been playing in some of the promotional material uh, for this movie, where uh, Will Smith meets the group known as Ammo, which is kind of the Miami like special police unit, uh, which has uh, Vanessa Hudgens is in it, and, uh, Char- and Charles Melton, and Alexander Ludwig, and as soon as Will Smith comes in the door, I mean, uh, Charles Melton just immediately starts busting his balls. Uh, and Will Smith says, oh, you're, so you're that guy. And then Melton comes back and says, yep, there's always one. Um, which is really funny in context. Uh, it seems like it'd be kind of stupid, but it works really nicely. And so, yeah, this movie just kind of knows the tropes of the genre it's playing in. And it plays off them really well. And I think this movie definitely does fall back into kind of the tired, like, delayed sequel uh, plot uh, devices or re- revelations. And I won't spoil them for anyone who's hasn't seen the movie, but you, you have a bunch of that stuff in there, and yeah, it's, I think the tone of this movie doesn't work particularly well in times, I think it's, it's weird because this movie plays a lot of moments very seriously, so there's some times where death and violence is really supposed to be, it's supposed to hit you in some way, and then it's followed d- directly after by some kind of death or mutilation or something that's supposed to be played for laughs and sometimes it doesn't quite get that tone right but i was really surprised about this movie i think it works surprisingly well um, is it gonna win any awards no but right now it's maybe my favorite movie of the year i mean that's not really saying much but um the fact that this movie works is really amazing to me so yeah we'll get into the sort of the financial side of this as well so 90 million dollar budget as i said before uh, the movie's already made 112 million worldwide so just really good on this movie. It seems like it's just an unmitigated success for Sony, who was, I mean, I've kind of been shitting on them for a while. They're just doing really well. And so it's kind of good to see them 
they're, they're in the upswing, definitely, and we'll talk about Jumanji in a second, but they just had a really good stretch here, and, and Bad Boys for Life was like was the second largest Martin Luther King uh, weekend gross ever, right behind uh, American Sniper, which is just bizarre. What a weird time uh, 2014 was. But yeah, a $90 million R-rated action movie just really doesn't work. You don't see that a lot anymore. So to see this movie be successful is really, really interesting. Um, so just good on the everyone involved in this and a couple screenwriters, a dual directing team. I'm really excited to see what they do next because uh, this movie does it does a really good job of pay, of having a lot of reverence for the first two movies, but then also um, doing its own thing, which is I think is the best way to please fans. Um, does it necessarily bring about the best movie? No, but this movie just works, and I think that in and of itself is just one of the more amazing things that I'll see this year. I mean, I said that in January now. Come back to me in, like, like April when actual, like, movies happen. Um, but, yeah, really good for Bad Boys for Life. Just, you really can't say anything negative about it. It's just success, and Cinema Score really seems like it'll have a really solid second week. Um, so we'll see. Just, I think, 300, 400 million, not out of the question for this movie. I mean, I don't... Who knows? I mean, I thought this movie was going to flop miserably. Uh, so <laughs> maybe take my... Um, my expectations there with a massive grain of salt. Uh, but yeah, it's just doing really well. And so I guess from there, we're going to go in order by the weekend releases here. And so the next is 1917, which is just doing really well. Once again, this movie is just, it seems like it's emerging as the best picture favorite uh, with its win at the Producers Guild Awards and just about every other awards body. It's just it really cleaning up and I kind of know that I've <laughs> I've discussed my displeasure for this film a bunch of times, but it's striking a chord with a ton of people, and it's doing really well. So yeah, that ninety million dollar budget. Uh, I know we kind of had a little bit of we had, we had trepidations about that at the beginning. Um, we were a little worried if that might have been too much, but now that nineteen seventeen is getting all these awards consideration, all these wins and whatnot, um, that budget's not going to really be much of an issue, and it's already made one hundred and forty three million worldwide. So with kind of the praise it's getting and maybe it wins best picture you're going to see this movie in theaters for a really really long time um so it's when it's all said and done i, I wouldn't be surprised with something north of 300 million uh, worldwide maybe cl close to 400 million if it wins best picture i think this movie is kind of it's one of those things where it's it's just forthrightly very inoffensive it's just a it's a war movie with nothing really on its mind which kind of bothered me uh but to a lot of people they're going to just sit back and let all the visuals and all the athletic filmmaking just wash over them. And I think they're going to go back and see it multiple times in theaters because it's definitely a movie that uh, kind of lends itself to just IMAX and seeing the biggest, seeing it on the biggest screen possible. And maybe you have one of those theaters with the rumbling seats, which would probably be really good for this. Like I said, I think this movie sucks, <laughs> but clearly you don't. It's doing really well. Uh, it made 26.8 million over the uh four-day or I guess the three-day weekend with uh, Martin Luther King so it's just going along and we're going to kind of touch base with a couple other movies that were nominated for best picture but yeah solid week-to-week -week drops it's it's going to hang around really nicely um, as a lot of best picture nominees do so you're probably going to see this movie hang around in the top five maybe four or five range or maybe just outside of that for a really long time get these eight to nine million dollar grosses over and over again uh, and just 
keep peppering away until we kind of look back at all the numbers and say, whoa, this movie really jumped up there. Um, so I'm going to be really tired of talking about this movie. So we will move on to a much more interesting failure, which is Doolittle. Um, <laughs> in my notes here uh, for Doolittle, my first note is oof, uh, which, uh, yeah, <laughs> Doolittle is, by all intents and purposes, a catastrophe. So it made $21.95 million over the weekend. And it actually, like I said earlier, it flipped with 1917 and hit, got the second uh, spot in the top five over the entire Martin Luther King holiday weekend. It ended up getting $29.5 million. So, And surprisingly, it did better than expectations. People were expecting this to be a little lower than that. But it got over that. I mean, that's but that's probably a serious consolation prize for this movie because it cost $175 million. Uh, I know you've probably been hearing this from other places. Um, just... This is just a really big uh, disaster for Universal. And so this movie was supposed to come out, I think it was maybe a holiday release, or I can't even remember, maybe it was a summer release, but it's been pushed back a lot. That's because it had a lot of reshoots, and it was just not coming together. So the original director on this movie was Stephen Gagan, uh, who directed things like Sirana and worked on Traffic. And so uh, I don't really know why you bring him on to do Doolittle. Because I don't, when I think of kids, uh, like friendly entertainment, I think of the guy who did Syriana, which is one of the most self-serious <laughs> movies. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, not probably not a good job by Universal there. But yeah, it seems like from, I mean, it's tough to say with not being there on set as well. But all the reports say it seemed like he was kind of out of his element, uh, just kind of over his head. And so just the movie just was not cutting together. So they had really extensive reshoots that took a really long time. Um, they brought in uh, Jonathan Liebsman to work to be the director for these reshoots, and they brought in Chris McKay, who worked on the Lego Batman movie, to kind of punch up the script. Um, so I think there was reshoots went on for a couple weeks, maybe over a month, which is just not good. If all all these big movies do reshoots in some sense, but when you're getting into the lengths of that long, it's not great at all. So. Yeah, they brought uh, Jonathan Liebsman has worked on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and kind of things that are probably closer to the tone that Doolittle was probably shooting for in the first place. But it didn't really seem like that helped it. <laughs> this this movie, uh, I haven't had a chance to see it. I was really putting it off because I just don't want to. Because you just you hear about these things for months and months and just how terrible they look, and then the trailer comes out and uh, sometimes. Uh, I guess the downside of being a critic sometimes is you just, there's just movies you just know are going to be terrible, and you just kind of have to psych yourself up to even drive out and see them if you don't get into a press screening. So it's, yeah. Uh, I'll see this at some point. I, I really don't want to. <laughs> but it's really interesting to just kind of go through the cast of this movie. So of we have RDJ as uh, Doolittle, and then the voice... And the rest of the cast, including the voices in this movie, is kind of unprecedented. So you have Antonio Banderas, you have Michael Sheen, who plays the villain, you have Jim Broadbent, Jesse Buckley, uh, Emma Thompson, and then you have Rami Malek, John Cena, Kamal Nanjiani, Octavia Spencer, Tom Holland, Craig Robinson, Ray Fine, Selena Gomez, Marion Cotillard, and you have Jason Manzukis in there as well. Like, this cast is crazy. It has just about everyone in it. And I wonder if this movie just maybe did decently because I had so many like social media influencers working on it and the universal was like, Hey, can you just send out a quick tweet telling people to see this movie or whatever, or share the trailer? And they were like, ah, fine. And I'll get my publicist or social media guy on it. So maybe 
people saw it more because of that. I don't really know. Um, the point is, this movie is tanking really, really hard. So overall, um, it made 29.5 here in the States, uh, added another 27.3 internationally. So it's sitting at right under 57 million worldwide. Um, so that's not good. That's not what you want. <laughs> it's not a good plan. Uh, so it needs a lot of work to do here. Um, I don't really see this movie even getting close to its budget. I would, I would say anything above 100 million is probably what uh, Universal is hoping for at this point. Uh, and they'll use it as a big tax write-off for things later down the road. And yeah, this this is just an all-timer of uh, just a big budget movie that was supposed to be a holiday something or summer something, and then it just turned into a big bunch of nothing. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, sorry for Night Doolittle. Uh, we hardly knew ye. I imagine it seems like people are jumping on this movie a lot. Uh, maybe it comes. Maybe I see it. And it's one of the worst movies of the year. Um, I'm not looking forward to it. Uh, <laughs> so we shall see. Um, but until that time, we'll move on to Jumanji: The Next Level, which just continues to do really, really good business. Um, as I kind of mentioned with 1917, it is kind of in that mode now where it's just kind of peppering, peppering these below 10 million dollar grosses every week. Uh, it's dropping really nicely. Uh, so over the weekend, it made a little under 10 million. Uh, Jumanji did, and had a 30, about a 31 percent drop. Uh, so we've kind of been seeing this for the last couple of weeks with Jumanji. It's just doing great, and it's a nice fluffy comedy. That's um, perfect around the holidays. People, it's one of those movies that it's a four quadrant movie, but it actually kind of succeeds in doing all those things that a four quadrant movie sets out to do. Uh, I think we see a lot of these movies that come out and they try to appeal to everybody, but by doing so, they appeal to no one. But Jumanji, I feel like, was one of those movies that actually worked. Um, was it great? No. Um, nowhere close to my favorites of last year. I, I mean, I cheated on my top 10 of the year list and put about 40 to 50 movies on there, and this was not even in consideration there. But it's fine, and it works on a very superficial level. It's a lot of celebrities you like being really funny, so that's great. Um, so the interesting thing here is that it's crossed 700 million worldwide. It's sitting at 712. So even though I'm still skeptical that I won't reach the crazy heights of the first Jumanji movie, which made just under a billion worldwide, um, this movie's creeping up there. Uh, I foresee maybe something around 800 million for this movie, um, which is just awesome news for Sony. And I can't believe I'm saying that Sony's winning this week, but they are. They're doing great. We're still waiting on that. That uh, the third movie announcement, uh, which I imagine is coming soon. I feel like we kind of talk about this in every pod because we just have really nothing else to say about Jumanji at this point except that it's doing really well. Um, so yeah, it's just doing good business. And that's just, yeah, that's all it is. Good job, Jumanji. Um, and so to round out the top five, uh, no, one that we've kind of talked to death here, and frankly, I don't really want to talk about it because it sucks, but <laughs> that's uh, The Rise of Skywalker. It's also in that mode where it's just kind of peppering in those sub $10 million grosses every week. Um, so The Rise of Skywalker crossed a billion at the Worldwide Box Office this week. And it's it's really interesting to see how this movie's crossed a billion and everyone's like, oh yeah, cool. It's still kind of a disappointment, which is really interesting. I mean, regardless of what you say about the movie, it's just fascinating that we're in a time where a movie crosses a billion dollars and we're like, ooh, I don't really know about this one. Like, what's what's wrong? Like, are, is this franchise in danger? Um 
just really interesting kind of at a super high level. Um, I know all those issues are probably well-reasoned, well-intentioned, uh, all the reasons that things that we don't like Star Wars and why we all want them to take a break. Uh, I know I certainly I do. I don't want to see another Star Wars movie on the big screen for at least a decade. Uh, we'll see if that actually happens. But, um, yeah, it's just it's 15th all-time, the domestic box office. Um, it's doing fine. Disney's doing okay. Um, no one really, no one really likes this movie, as far as I can tell. Um, at least anyone that I talk to. But hey, it's making money. That's all you can care about. Um, so yeah, that kind of wraps up the top five for this week. So uh, I wanted to actually check in with a few movies that we haven't discussed either in a while or much at all on the pod, and because I think it's really interesting to see kind of what they've been doing. And they're these two movies are Little Women and Knives Out, and They've kind of, they've both been these movies where they haven't been in the top five for a, quite some time, or at least we haven't really talked much about them. But they're they're just in this mode where people really like them. They're dropping really solidly week to week, and they're just they're just padding out their domestic gross uh, and their time theaters, and they're just doing really good business. So Little Women uh, over the weekend, six point three million dollars, eighteen point six percent drop, which is just really terrific uh, for this movie it's well over 100 million worldwide sitting at a little over 130 million um, 84 million here in the states so we can expect that that you can expect it to cross 100 million pretty soon uh, and then knives out is just a really big winner of the holiday season it's sitting right around 278 million worldwide with the ryan johnson bump off of his uh, best original screenplay nom you can expect probably this movie to just hang around for even longer than it would have ha- it would have otherwise um so yeah thir- 300 million is definitely within within the realm of possibility here so it's cool and both these movies cost 440 million dollars so to see both of them succeed uh, i know i feel like i'm always the one who's just kind of bemoaning the death of the mid-budget movie on this podcast and we see decent movies that are kind of in that happy range where they have enough money to have stars and have some type of scope but not crazy money like Star Wars Uh, we've kind of seen a lot of them not do well but in this case Knives Out Little Woman they're doing incredible and I think that kind of just speaks to how these people how these movies are just really good Uh, people love them Uh, they're they're crowd pleasers in a sense but they're also challenging and have a lot of interesting things to say I love Little Women. It's one of my favorite movies of last year. I also love Knives Out. It's one of, not in my top ten, but one of my honorable mentions, absolutely. So really good to see this, and I know Lionsgate's really happy with this one. Between Knives Out and uh, John Wick 3, uh, Lionsgate had a really good 2019. Uh, just we'll forget about Hellboy and put it in the corner when we have that discussion. Um, but it's, yeah, Knives Out, John Wick 3, really good stuff by Lionsgate. Yeah, and both those movies are definitely, they're really not quite succeeding because of because of solely it, but um, Little Women and Knives Out are definitely getting a little bit of an Oscars bump um, with the nominations coming out and people kind of going to the theaters and they're adding theaters or just staying in theaters. And I'm we're gonna kind of get look into so a, a couple other movies here that are kind of seeing the same uh, benefits here. So you see this every year where people, movies get nominated for Best Picture and they come back into theaters or just stay in theaters longer people got to see them and you have chains like amc and, and regal who put them out as like some some special expose where they show all 
nine or ten or eight uh, Best Picture nominees, and you can see all of them for, for when the weekly pass and all that. Um, so we're in that time now. Uh, so you're going to start to see a lot of these movies do really well and reappear on box office reports, um, which is cool for some of them, because movies like Parasite, which is kind of the first one on my list here, it went up about 80% this week, um, added a bunch of theaters. It's now back in 843 theaters here in the States. It's just, it's really cool to see this movie uh, fresh off its SAG win uh, for Best Ensemble, just just really doing well. And it's really interesting because this movie was already a, a huge success before it got to the States because it made so much money overseas. This movie cost about $11 million and it's made a hundred and 39 million so that's just really good stuff and 28 of that is in the u.s so basically anything it makes here is kind of just gravy um so to get it so for that to get a little bump based off the nominee uh is just really good for that movie and i'm really happy that parasite's going to be a lot of new people that would never have seen it are going to go out and see it and check it out it's really cool um not one of my favorites of the year um it's just underneath my top 10 of the year for reasons that I can't really explain, because I would spoil the movie. Uh, maybe at some point in the near future, I'll get into that. Uh, but really solid movie, and it's really cool to see this movie do well. And it takes us to the next one, which is Jojo Rabbit, which, and of all the Best Picture nominees, uh, this movie probably needed the bump the most, uh, which is really interesting, because I think back in September, when this movie premiered at TIFF, and it won the Audience Award, uh, I think I talked to Brennan, and we could kind of both sense that the, like, the avalanche of Jojo Rabbit love was coming, and a lot of people thought this was probably your frontrunner for Best Picture, and it just didn't quite burst out like a lot of pundits expected. Um, it's doing fine, um, so it's made a little over 40 million worldwide, about 40, about 44. It's made about 24 here in the states, but definitely not the crazy success that maybe Fox Searchlight was, or I guess Searchlight Pictures at this point. Um, Jesus. Disney doing shit. But yeah, it's not quite the big breakout hit that a lot of people were expecting. I I think I expected it to maybe even get north of 100 million here in the States. Just its wacky premise. And I think this movie is a bit of a crowd pleaser, obviously, because it won that the uh, fan award at TIFF. You would expect this a lot of people to seek this movie out and the word of mouth to kind of build and build until this a bunch of nominees came through and it got a few nominees uh, screenplay in there uh, production design costume and all that stuff but it, it doesn't really feel like the front runner for any of these movies uh, it feels kind of like this year's Vice where uh, Vice was nominated for a bunch of stuff but it didn't really win anything it felt like it, everyone was like alright we'll just give this last nomination to Vice just because and it kind of feels like where Jojo Rabbit is so I don't really see I think it's going to be one of those movies that doesn't really win anything at the Academy Awards uh, it would be one of the big losers of the night. Yeah, it really needed this bump. Uh, so it did pretty, it's up uh, 625% this week. Uh, so it's doing pretty decently, and it, need, it needs every bit it can get. It's certainly not a disaster or anything. It's probably made money for Fox Searchlight at this point, but uh, I know they were probably hoping for more. So we'll stay tuned on that one and maybe check in in later dates. Um, but another movie that really benefited from that Best Picture nominee was Ford v. Ferrari, which I know we've been kind of just tra tracking and kind of checking in with quite often on this podcast, just because that budget just been really high, $97 million budget. And we were, I think all of us, Colin, Brennan, and I, were all kind of worried about what this movie would end up doing, because it's pretty good. I like this movie a lot. Um, I watched it again for a second time, and I thought it was better the second time around. 
I don't think it's quite like a hollow bro dad movie that a lot of pundits out there think. I think there's a little more about the creative experience and kind of working within constraints that I think works really well for any kind of movie of this size and the fact that we don't get a sort of big budget prestige movie like this very often. I think it makes those themes even stronger on rewatches. But this movie has made $216 million worldwide at this point on a, like I said, $97 million budget. So it's tough to say if this movie is profitable or not at this point. I would lean towards no. I mean, it just really depends on what the marketing and promotion is. But generally, as I've mentioned many times in this, you want to make about 2.5 of the production, 2.5 times the production budget, uh, or even up to three times uh, with movies like this to get in profit. So for judging by that, we're looking at somewhere between 250 to 300 million necessary for Ford v. Ferrari. Ooh, if I can talk. Uh, talking to yourself for a while, you're getting a little tongue-tied, Jesus. Uh, but we, we're looking at that kind of number for Ford v. Ferrari to be successful, uh, in my mind. So, yeah, Best Picture nominee is really big for this movie to kind of just stay in theaters for a while. Um, do I see it reaching that threshold? No, but every dollar really helps in this situation. And I'm, I'm rooting for it, because Ford v. Ferrari is a movie that I quite, quite enjoy. Uh, and I hope people and all the dads wearing their New Balances uh, go check it out because I think they'll find something uh, good in it. And the last movie here, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which has already done really well. $90 million budget, $373 million worldwide. So I would expect probably for this one, uh, when it comes back in the theaters, this is a movie that people will be seeing maybe for their second or third time, maybe somewhere in there. So it was only in fifty, about 50 theaters before this weekend, but it jumped back up at 700 after its Best Picture nominee. I know Sony, geez, another Sony win. Jesus, good kind of good on them. Jesus, maybe I need to rethink my calculus on that one, but they've really been playing a long game on this one where we knew for a while that they were going to put this movie back in theaters around this time, and it was kind of the marketing has been all over the place where... There was the DVD release was also um, before this date as well, so we've kind of just been inundated with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood stuff since it released back in the summer. So, this movie doesn't really need a bump in theaters, but it doesn't really hurt, right? So it's it's doing really well. And with that, that about wraps it up for this week. So thank you all so much for listening and bearing with me on the solo pod as I ventured into the unknown. My guess is that we are probably not going to be here next week for a pod. Colin and I are going to probably just be exhausted by the time next weekend comes around and it's time to record and look at the box office results so we'll be back in probably two weeks on that front we'll also be kind of summing up our experiences at sundance and a podcast as well and as always you can check out all the content that we have on the site and we're all working tirelessly to put out good stuff for you so you head over to moviebabblereviews.com and check us out there and follow us on Twitter and Instagram and anywhere else you can find us YouTube Pinterest I don't I don't really know just find us search movie battle you'll find us but thank you all so much for listening and until next time thank you very much <laughs>